Exodus chapter 15 is where we are today. It's actually a song of deliverance um, that's written down for our benefit and for our instruction. But I'm going to ask you if you would stand as I read the first four verses of Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would impose yourself on us. God, I acknowledge that I don't like to be imposed upon, but God, when it's you, it's something different. And so I pray for ears that are stopped this morning, that you would loose them, that they might hear. For eyes that are blinded, I pray that you'd open them. God, for hearts that are hard, that you'd take them over. And God, show us your radical love and your unparalleled strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how many of you like the TV show, The Voice. Show me your hands. How many of you don't even know what The Voice is? <laughs> Hallelujah, right? So The Voice has been on about a decade, and there's these very famous singers that sit in these chairs, which is kind of where those lights um, are going up from, and they're the judges of new people that want their voice to be elevated above everybody else's. They want to stand a little bit taller than everybody else. And what will happen on The Voice is these famous singers sit with their backs to somebody who's singing. And when the person starts singing, if they get to the point they like them enough, they can push their seat around and they can get first voice on whether or not that person joins their team. And then they have teams that compete against each other, but it's all to figure out who the next The Voice is. Now, Exodus chapter 15 is a song, and the people of God are singing a song, and we come together as the church, the people of God, and we sing every single week. And there are some of you who are in this room who don't sing very loud because you're pretty self-conscious, or some of you maybe just think it's kind of stupid, but you'll say, I just don't have a very good voice. Now, I want you to understand something about singing in the Bible. One, it's commanded, and it's all throughout. And the Bible speaks very clearly um, that singing has incredible power for us to change us. So many of you that sit in here that go, I just don't have a very good voice, the question is not, can you sing? But the question is, do you have a song to sing? The question is not, do you have a good voice, but do you have a song, a song that's rooted and enduring enough to sing and to desire to sing, no matter how dark the days are or how bright they are. 
Exodus chapter 15 is the Israelites singing after a very bright moment. But these same people will be plunged into the wilderness and things will get really dark. This happens to the people of God throughout history to the point of where the psalmist speaks at times of how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, that question is more based upon not if you have a good voice or can you sing, but do you have a song to sing that is so powerful it bubbles up within you in good times and in bad times. Here, the people of God had a song to sing. Verse 1, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And then they say, the first verse of it, I will sing to the Lord. So you see immediately they're singing. They've come out of a circumstance that they experience deliverance, but they're singing the song not about their circumstance. They're singing the song to God who made the circumstance happen. The question ultimately isn't, do you circumstantially feel enough joy to sing? The question is, do you have a song rooted in a character who is steady and steadfast enough to make you propel us to sing regardless of the circumstance? The question isn't fundamentally, can we sing? But do we have a song? Here, the nation of Israel has a song to sing because of the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. When you sit on the voice and you're singing, you're trying to make yourself taller than everybody else, metaphorically speaking, when it comes to your voice. Well, here a real world historical situation has happened that shows God has triumphed gloriously. That language literally means Here in Exodus 15, he's shown himself taller. He's displayed that he's exalted. He's established that he's forever. He's shown the fact that he's a savior and that he's strong. He's shown himself bigger. It's made me ask um, a lot of questions about do I have a song regardless of my circumstances? Is there footing deep enough that is solid enough that regardless of what comes, regardless of what belief systems come, that I wouldn't be tossed to and fro by the next trend of thought? Are my feet sound enough that when the storms come in real life, I'm not destroyed because my foundation is strong enough, like Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. I've asked myself these questions of, do I have a song that's rooted enough in a character that's rooted enough in reality that I can have a song to sing regardless It made me think of a passage of scripture that's used multiple times in the Old and New Testament. It's referred to first in Isaiah, the psalmist brings it up, but Peter speaks of it very specifically. And he says this, uh, Peter, the man who walked with Jesus, that had all kinds of questions, that spoke 
at times when he shouldn't speak, that just showed himself a very normal human being. He's a lot like you, honestly. He was, and a lot like me. But he ends up writing this in this letter of 1 Peter. He says, all flesh is like grass. Now, we all have flesh. What that's speaking about is humanity in particular. And it made me think circumstances really are driven by the way I feel or what other people do. When I place the ability of whether or not I can sing in human beings, whoever they may be, whether it's myself or other people, I get failed all the time for this reason. They're just human beings. It isn't really solid foundations. That doesn't mean love doesn't matter. It does. That doesn't mean community doesn't matter. It matters dramatically. But it's where you place your trust because in the end, all flesh, all human beings are like grass. And all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Hold right there. The grass withers and the flower falls. I played uh, college athletics. Every time I say that, I have to stop and say, no, actually, I played college baseball, right? There's a difference between athletics and baseball. But I played college baseball, and there was a famous college coach that used to always speak to his team, and he'd say, there was baseball before you got here, and there'll be baseball after you leave. Baseball's bigger than you. It reminds you of the NFL right now, does it not? There are these players who think, I'll rise myself up against my team, against my teammates, against everybody else. And in the end, it's like, there'll be football. There was football before you got here, and there'll be football after you were here. The reality is, no matter how good you are as a player, you're like grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but in this situation, football may stand forever, but it stands forever. That's football. But here it says all flesh. All human beings are like grass. It's glorious like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So stop here. This is when college baseball goes away, the NFL goes away. Marxism goes away, capitalism goes away. Rome goes away, the Soviet Union goes away, the United States goes away. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This word of God was the good news that was preached to you. We believe the word of God because it's God's word. Now that sounded really simple, so I want, I want to say it with a little more emphasis. We believe the word of God because it's God's word. We believe the word of God because the word of God remains forever. Why does it remain forever? Because it's God's word. God is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. Alpha and omega are the beginning and last letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and he's the last. He was here before you. Before our companies, before our systems, before our technologies, and he will be here after. Folks, the only way you can say, I will forever have a song to sing, is if it's rooted in the character of God. Nothing else endures, and God is just putting himself on display throughout the book of Exodus. 
over and over and over again. It wasn't that God now showed up and was something new. He's displaying who he always was, that there is none above him. He is taller. He triumphs gloriously, which is why the horse and his rider he is thrown into the sea. The people of God have a song to sing because God is a deliverer. We have a song to sing because God in his very nature, in his very character, is a deliverer. I will sing to the Lord this song, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and he is my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. We have a song to sing because the character of God in his very nature, he is a deliverer. And this deliverance is personal. Do you see that? Look at the Lord is my strength, is my song. He has become my, see the personal? And this is my God. I will praise him, my father's God. I will exalt him. The eyes and the my's show that God is personal. It's personal deliverance. The word here is salvation. Folks, I know every one of us sit in this room right now and there are things you aspire and desire and deeply feel like it boils within you that you want deliverance. Much of it is deliverance from yourself. Salvation from yourself. Others of you, and maybe at the very same time, it's deliverance from a situation that is so proximate, it's so close, but you want salvation. The scriptures and God himself says, don't think for a minute that my arm is too short to save. Don't think I'm not powerful enough, and don't at the same time think that I'm distant. I'm personal. God isn't too busy for your stuff. Believe him. Believe God that he's personal. Believe the word of God because it's God's word. God heard the cries of the oppressed Israelites under Egypt. God hears the cries of the oppressed. Whether you're oppressed by your own sin in your crying out for deliverance or you're oppressed by someone else's sin or a system of sin. Sin is multidimensional. We've spoken about this before. In here, sin is cosmic at the highest levels, ways you can't even understand it, but it just works and it moves. Right? It is cosmic. It's also personal. Right? It's systemic. And it's also in the church. It's in the church. You want to know why? Because it's in you and it's in me. It all sits there, but God is personal. No matter how sin's coming at you in all of its multidimensional ways, in all of its multicolors of temptation, God is personally thinking and concerned about you. He's concerned about your sin, and he's concerned about people's sin against you. At the same time, he's concerned by the world's sin.
but he triumphs gloriously. He shows himself a deliverer, both personal and communal, because this is a communal song. It's the people of God together singing a song with personalized lyrics. So you could say this, the Lord is our strength. The Lord is our song. The Lord has become our salvation. He is our God. We will praise him. Our fathers, because he is our father's God, and we will exalt him. It's communal and it's personal. And then I want you to see this. For us, for us, it evolves, his salvation. His salvation is never in question because it's a part of his character, but we recognize it over circumstances and over time as we believe the word of God we find salvation. And we believe the word of God because it's God's word. Do you understand that? I don't believe the word of God because it sits bound between two leather, a front and a back in my Bible. And because it's written and because people say to me, it's the word of God. We believe the word of God, because it's God's God, because it's God's word. The word of God is authoritative because God is God. He stands above the rest. There are kings, and then there's the king of kings. There is lords, and then there's the Lord of lords. Right? There are things people think are God's, but then there's God who sits above the rest. It is communal and it's personal, and we begin to recognize it. That's why it says, and he has become my salvation. I've seen what he does. I've seen how he acts. He's revealed himself to the Egyptians and to us, which means to me, and I believed it because he's God. They're singing about the character of God as a deliverer, but if God is a deliverer, it necessitates that he is a warrior. Look at verse three. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Now, I'm just going to let that sit there for a minute. The Lord is a man of war. That's kind of a disruptive phrase, isn't it? I mean, be honest. That's kind of, the Lord is his name. The Lord is a man of war. There's a lot about that in our culture and that resides within us that we don't like. Like, ah, oh, I don't like to think that. We do like the idea that we could be delivered for something, from some things. And we do like the idea that we could be saved. Do you understand that in order for God to be a deliverer, he has to deliver from something? Remember Exodus. God hears the cry of his people who are being oppressed. He delivers them from an evil, wicked system. He delivers them from the effects and the tyranny of sin that is manifested through a system called Egypt that's embodied in a man called Pharaoh that many people just follow because of their own comfort, because of their own safety, for their own security. God hears the cries of the oppressed and he becomes a man of war in order to deliver. Do you see that logic? You can't deliver. God can't be a deliverer unless he's a warrior. He hates that which destroys his beloved. And so he acts. He hates it and he acts. It necessitates it. 
God displaying himself as a warrior against sin is rooted in his character and God is love. Love necessitates fighting against that which destroys the beloved. Think about parenting. Parents that love their kids hate the addict within their kids. They hate the things that are destroying their children because they love their children. The most oppressive force in all of human history and in our reality right now is sin. Sin is against God. God hates things that are opposed to him. Why? Why? Is it just because he's an egomaniac? Like, oh, you just hate things that are opposed to you, right? And it conjures up all of this imagery of like a narcissistic, self-absorbed dad that's like, you're going to stand against me? Then I'm going to stand against you. And you're like, I hate that. And that's what you feel with God. But there's this moment where a man comes to Jesus and Jesus is this pretty ordinary teacher who's doing extraordinary things. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, good teacher. And Jesus, like he does, just disrupts the moment. I love this about Jesus. Jesus just disrupts the moment. The man's like, hey, good teacher. And every time somebody would walk up to a typical teacher and say, you're a great teacher, they say, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. But here's what Jesus does. Hey, good teacher. And Jesus goes, why is it that you call me good? <laughs> Can you imagine that moment? The guy's like, uh-uh. Uh, I don't know, because you're good. And then Jesus looks him right in the eyes and he goes, nobody is good but God alone. Nobody is good but God alone. What's he saying? So you call me good. If I'm good, nobody's good but God alone. So why does God hate that which tries to rear its head and get taller than God? Because it's something that's trying to get taller than goodness. It's called pride. Pride destroys everything. It destroys you, it destroys families, it destroys nations, it destroys our world. It destroys all of the things we ultimately aspire to. The good, the true, and the beautiful. God stands up against those who stand up against him. He stands up against them because he's pro-goodness. He stands up against them because he's love. Psalm 2 is this amazing psalm. You should jot it down. It says, why do the nations rage? Egypt is an example. Our world, read the news, including our own nation, is this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? They try to stand up against God and get taller. And what does God do? Psalm 2 says, he laughs. He laughs, really? But he doesn't just laugh and do nothing. He acts. He's a man of war. The Lord is his name. Egypt tried to do it. And Pharaoh's chariots, verse 4, and his host got cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them and they went down into the depths like a stone because God showed himself supreme. Here, the nation of Israel, this is all a song, is singing a song of God's deliverance because God is supreme. They sing a song. We have a song to sing because of the supremacy of God. Now, when I thought about the word supreme like if you're going to use this think about the word supreme the first thing that came to my mind was taco bell <laughs> like nacho supreme 
they're not just nachos, right? They're not just chips and cheese. It's got all the fixings on it. That's sour cream, might have guacamole, some green onion shaved just enough to not be too much onion. I don't even like Taco Bell, but that's what I thought of. It's like a cut above the rest. So when we say God's supremacy, we're saying, no, he's supre- he is above all the rest. And this is what they begin to sing. The floods covered them. They went down in the depths like a stone and watch them now sing of God's supremacy. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. You send out your fury. God sends out his fury. Again, we're kind of disrupted like he's a man of war. You send out your fury. Now, just for the sake that you know, I have this kind of cool app on my phone. I think I've mentioned to you guys before. It's called Accordance. Um, And this is where technology isn't fair for all the previous people that tried to study the Bible. I had to look in all these books for the meaning of the word because I can pull up my phone like this and go down to verse 7. And you send out your fury. And I can literally press a button and it shows me the whole Hebrew word. The words parse tells me the meaning of it and everything. So fury, what does fury actually mean? It means fierce anger, fierce anger, burning anger, wrath. And I push it again. I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see that word, right? Like, <laughs> you send out your burning anger, your fierce anger, your wrath. Why? Folks, we've said this before. Don't miss this. If God's going to be a deliverer, he has to be a warrior. If God is going to love like God loves, he hates that which stands against love. Because he loves, he hates that which destroys the beloved. Anything that rises itself up against God is not like something rising up against you. Don't miss this. This isn't fury like I displayed last night, right? I'm trying to get three of my children down. Lucy's at a gymnastics meet. Mom is away. And when mom is away, the children go insane, right? Like, so I'm trying to get them to bed and everything. And the two girls have this kind of Jack and Jill bathroom. They share a bathroom. And Harmony ends up in Lucy's closet. And she sees this new jumper that she got. And she's like, why did she get a jumper? And I didn't get a jumper. I'm like, why am I preaching tomorrow? And you're acting like this. Like, I need to go to bed, woman. Like, let me go to sleep. Right? So I'm thinking and I'm trying to be quiet. And she's like, this is what she got. And all of a sudden, I don't, it's like I can't even control myself. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Go to the mall at 945 and buy you a jumper? And she just looks at me and she's like, you're nuts. Right? Like, you're supposed to be a loving father. Like I sing a song at church about good, good father. You're not it. And this is this moment where I'm like, you're singing about God, honey, not about me. So don't miss that fury, don't miss that you send out your fury isn't the evil wrath and selfish wrath of an earthly father. This is the holy wrath of a God who perfectly loves And a God who is perfect in power, which is why it consumes them like stubble. Have you ever seen stubble in the midst of a fire? How does it stand up against it? 
bad. Bad. Like a cat in the way of a Mack truck. It's not good. So when God sends out his fury against pride, he sends it out because he hates something. The wisdom writer in the book of Proverbs says that there are things that God hates. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that's proud eyes, eyes that try to elevate themselves, eyes that overestimate the importance of yourself, that when you walk in a room or you walk into a system, you're convinced you're just a cut above the rest. That's antithetical to what God says. That's antithetical to the good news of the gospel. God hates it. He hates a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Pharaoh and the system of Egypt are guilty of all of this. He hates that. It moves on. Here's what else he hates. A heart that devises wicked plans. He hates the oppressor. He hates feet that make haste to return, to run to evil. A false witness he hates who breathes out lies and the one who sows discord and divides brothers. God hates things that stand against goodness. God hates those things that stand against love. And the primary thing that does is pride. When we sing of the lordship of Christ, when we recognize we're to believe God's word because it's God's word, the nature of acknowledging God is God humbles us and God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The singing of a song of his lordship, the willingness to say, I'm going to belt out a song, not because I have a good voice, but because I have a song that's rooted in God fuels humility. He moves on about his supremacy and the blast from your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. Now look at this. Here's what the enemy does. The enemy says, I'll pursue. I'll overtake. What does Psalm 2 say? God laughs. But he doesn't just laugh, he acts. The enemy says, I'll pursue, I'll overtake, I'll divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. We're gonna go get them. Then what happens? The riders and the horseets and the chariots are cast into the sea. You don't raise up against God. Now the hard part about this is there were clearly soldiers riding in chariots and on horses that just went along with it. Like, if I don't do this, I'll get killed by Pharaoh. Do you realize that if you're following the wrong ruler, just following the wrong ruler because you're so committed to your own comfort, your own safety, your own security, your own convenience, you may follow yourself right into destruction because of pride. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. They had the biggest weapons, the biggest military, the largest military budget, the strongest of leaders. They were going to stand there, and yet not all of them did. Some of them, likely those who were poor and oppressed, gathered together with the Israelites. It says a mixed multitude went out and were found deliverance. But those who were proud, who wanted what they wanted, who weren't ultimately looking at loving God and loving their neighbor, fell into destruction because they were following a pharaoh. This is where you have to be really careful. You have to be careful on two fronts, that we don't point the finger and say evil rests out there and we don't recognize it rests inside our very human heart. And we gotta be careful as Americans. This is the truth. The largest, most strongest nation that ever existed 
that is in a recipe of a time where we're plugging our ears and blinding our eyes because of our own comforts, convenience, safeties, and securities, and be careful. The Apostle Paul, this man who was thrown off of his horse because God showed himself personally to him as God, fell on his horse, later pens much of the New Testament, penned these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, people of God, that our fathers were all under the cloud. We're about to see that God leads the people of Israel after the exodus with a pillar of cloud. And all passed through the sea. That's what we just saw in chapter 14. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock. Now stop. This theme is picked up also in the book of Hebrews. You can receive the benefits of God and begin to worship the benefits rather than worship God. You can begin to rejoice in the gifts God has given you or to you through a prosperous nation that God has blessed in so many ways. But you forget that to whom much is given, much is expected. You receive the benefits and forget the one who's giving you the benefits. You rejoice in the gifts, but forget the giver of the gifts. Watch out, for they all drank from the spiritual rock and that followed them. And the rock, you read Exodus, you go, it was God. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. This is with the people of God, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us. This is written as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They believe a system that's not of God. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. 23,000 of them of the Israelites, he's not talking about the Egyptians, we're about to see this in Exodus, fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test. Here's the statement, folks. Don't test Christ, trust him. Don't test him, trust him. Don't test God, trust him. If some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. Don't grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened as an example to us. Don't blind your eyes. Don't just think, oh, that's something that was written a long time ago. It was written as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now, this is in bold for a reason. I put it in bold. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. My college baseball coach said, you're this far from the top, you're this far from the bottom. How do we take heed? Trust Christ. Not the one time and only time, all the time. Right now, if you're out there, trust Christ. In these moments where sin is being exposed is not just in Egypt, not just out there, not just in your family, in you. That's what he's saying take heed of. It's in you. Trust Christ. They sang a song because he was a deliverer, because he was supreme, and because of his steadfast love. Verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. 
Now listen to me, folks. This is the gospel. Sin is the most oppressive force in the universe. And it doesn't just exist out there. It's in your heart. It's in our church. It's in your pastors. I just told you a story about how I went nuts on my daughter last night, right? It's in us. Your confidence can't be found in the fact that I'm in a good church. I'm better than they are. I'm this. The fury of God gets taken out against the sin of the world, against our sin, because God loves. And yet God poured out his fierce fury, his anger, and the sin of the world on his son, Jesus, so that, Paul says in the book of Romans, God could be both just, he does something about sin. Sin has to be dealt with. Your sin and my sin has to be dealt with. Just like Hitler's, right? Or the worst people in the world that you think are existing inside of our heart. God is about to show Israel Egypt is within them. God has to punish sin, so he punishes and pours out his wrath and fury on his son to show he's both just, Paul says, and the justifier and the deliverer. He's both a warrior and a savior. This is our God. It's only entrusting in a God like that who has a robust love. Not a just little weak love that goes, I love you no matter what. A love that recognizes the horrors of sin in the world and actually does something about it. That's a God we sing to, amen? We're about to move into a time of communion that we celebrate every single week that we might remember the power and the dynamism of the love of God. And when we take this communion, we remember God is dealing with sin in Christ, the sin of the world and the sin of us. This is a moment we bring our stuff before God. And we go, God, you're a warrior against sin. I can't deal with my own stuff. Would you take it? And we partake of his body and his blood. The elements are going to come before. I'm going to trust that you take these elements on your own. But I'm going to come back up um, here in just a minute and just set the course for us, like the nation of Israel was here, to be a singing people based upon the character of God. Father, speak to us now. Speak to us in song. Speak to us in these elements of your body and your blood. God, speak to us personally. Speak to us powerfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.